Exodus chapter 14, is one of the most fascinating chapters in all of Scripture. Uh, it has fascinated saints and scholars and cynics. People have studied it, debated it, argued it, tried to deny it, and it still stands. Exodus 14 is one of those hallmark chapters of God's intervention in the lives of his people. And he tells us in this chapter about how our faith can be tested. So I want us to look tonight at this chapter and see the test of faith. First of all, our faith is tested when the enemy won't quit. You do understand that the enemy will never quit, don't you? He's not going to quit. He is a defeated foe, but he is still very active. And he says in chapter 13 and verse 17, which is really the background leading up to this, begin reading with me, if you would, at chapter 13 and verse 17. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Succoth and camped at Netham on the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord was going before them, and a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and then a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. Now, there are three reasons why God led them this way. First of all, God led them this way because if they had gone down the obvious road, they would have run very quickly into the Philistines. They were not prepared or equipped, nor did they have the heart to go to war and to fight a battle. Although they had been miraculously delivered, they did not have it within them to fight the battles that needed to be fought, to go through the land in that direction. And so God took them around the area instead of through it. God takes the long road sometimes for our ultimate good. Sometimes we argue with him and say, now, Lord, I, I don't want to go on this road. I, I, I'd like to take the shortcut. God says, I'm taking you on the long road for your good. Because sometimes we're not ready for the battles that are ahead of us. The second reason why he does it is referred to in chapter 3 and verse 12. Moses was trying to lead them to Mount Sinai. In chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Someone has said that the biggest danger of being in a hurry is that it takes so much time. You'll catch that. The biggest danger of being in a hurry is that it takes so much time. Usually when we get in a hurry, we end up having to backtrack or do over what we could have done with a little more patience the first time the right way. Now there's a parenthetical little statement here 
in, uh, where Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. I want you to look at that again because it's a fulfillment of a pledge that they made in Genesis chapter 50. Joseph said, God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Joseph knew that Egypt was not God's promised land, that Egypt was not the place where God intended his people to live forever. And Joseph said, when you leave, I'm going with you, even if it's just my bones. I want to go with you. God never intended for people to die in Egypt. God intends for people to go to the promised land. And Joseph knew that God had a plan, and Joseph understood that we are pilgrims and strangers in this world, and we need to live that way. We need to be prepared to never feel settled down here, wherever it is that we're living. Now, the test of faith has a second test. The test of faith also comes when you're boxed in by design. God boxes us in. You say, well, that doesn't sound very loving. But God boxes us in with the Egyptian army coming on one side, mountains on the other sides, and right in front of us is a Red Sea. God boxes us in by design so we have to walk by faith. You see, most of us will never trust God until we have to. As long as there's an exit, as long as there's an escape route, as long as there's a way that we can figure out a method that we can come up with, a plan or a formula that we can design, we'll go our way. And only when we are boxed in do we become desperate enough to listen to God and to see God and to hear what God has to say to us. They were boxed in by design. The pillar of cloud was there, the pillar of fire was there, but also the Egyptian army, the mountains, and the Red Sea were there. But in the middle of the obstacles and in the middle of being boxed in, there were the symbols of God's sovereignty, the symbols of God's provision, the symbols of God's protection. They were reminders to the people. You can trust me. I am in control. I'm in charge. Nothing's happened. Nothing will happen that does not happen either by my permission or by my design. You can trust me in this. He, they was trying to teach the people to learn to walk by faith. And I want to tell you, learning to walk by faith is not easy. In fact, this is the hardest thing to do, is to learn to walk by faith because we have a tendency to want to reason out our lives. And yet God was taking them in a position where they had to trust him. Gordon McDonald says, very, oh boy, I tell you, I love this quote. In fact, I wrote it in front of one of the Bibles that I've used in the past. And whatever man does without God, he must either fail miserably or succeed more miserably. And whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. You can be a success, but if you do it without God, you're miserable. And you can fail miserably or you can succeed miserably, but if you're without God, the bottom line is you're going to be miserable. And so here they are boxed in by design, and God put them in a position where they were shut up to faith, where they had to trust God. 
The old saints at the turn of the century used to talk about the fact that God would shut us up to faith, that we would be locked in and walled in in such a way that the only thing we could do would be to trust God. And God gets every one of us in that position sooner or later in our spiritual pilgrimage. Now, the Israelites must have thought, boy, you know, we're out of Egypt. We've got it made. <laughs> Things are great. We're out of bondage. We're not slaves anymore. They gave us their gold and all their stuff. And I mean, we, we, we hit the jackpot. Now all we've got to do is get to the promised land, and it's smooth sailing. Sometimes people think that's what happens when they get saved. Well, but now that I'm saved, all my problems are gone. <laughs> Guess what? You just became an enemy of the devil. Your problems are just starting. The only difference is you've got somebody to go through those problems with you. They must have said, boy, if we just get out, now we've got it made. But you see, Pharaoh had another plan. Pharaoh had an idea because he never could learn his lesson. He never could figure it out. And he said, I am going to go after them. In fact, look at chapter 14 and verse 3. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Here's the third reason why God led them down this path. Pharaoh would be convinced that God's people were fair game. I want you to notice what God says. They're boxed in by design, but they're boxed in for God's glory. When you and I are boxed in and our faith is tested, we're boxed in so that God might be glorified. Notice what he says. I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. God said when the judgment comes and when deliverance comes and when my intervention comes, I'm going to be honored. When I deal with this problem in your life, when I deal with it once and for all, when I deal with it with finality, I am going to be honored by the way I deal with this. You're going to know that I'm God. You're going to know that I am sovereign. I have set a trap for Pharaoh for my glory. God says, I've boxed you in by design. But there's a third test. There's a test of faith when you are tempted to complain. Now look at verse 10. Verse 10, chapter 14 and verse 10. <clears throat> then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Excuse me, I thought these were the people who cried out to God for deliverance. Now listen, most of us want deliverance, but we don't want it God's way. We want God to deliver us on our terms, not on his terms. And they said, oh, you know, here we are, we're being tested we're out here, we've seen God deliver through all the plagues, we've seen God spare us from the death angel, and now we're out here, and he brought us out here to kill us. Some God we serve. We could have just stayed in Egypt and continued making bricks and continued being slaves and continued in bondage. Why did you have to bring us out here? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? 
Do you realize that this group of people will forever until the coming of Jesus Christ and for all eternity will be remembered for being a bunch of whining, griping people? How'd you like to have people remember you that way for the rest of your life? I mean, you just take the list of all the things that God did for them and what's on their tombstone? Whiners, gripers, complainers, negative. I'm convinced that there's still some of their gene pool around. I mean, I can, I can go through pictorial directories of every church I've been in, and I can look at a picture, and I can immediately say, that person never did anything but complain all their life. I mean, they griped about everything, they complained about everything, they just whined about everything. Didn't matter what God had done for them, they wanted to complain about it. You see what they did? They murmured, and look at what they did. They murmured at Moses, but really they were murmuring at God. You, you didn't do what we wanted you to do, Moses. You got us out here in the, in the middle of this, and I want you to see what the problem is. Let me tell you what complaining people show us. Complaining people show us they don't pray. If you listen to anybody who's complaining and griping and negative, mark it down, write it with a magic marker across the top of their head, this person doesn't pray. Because when you pray, you don't complain, and when you complain, you don't pray. When I am complaining and when I am negative and when I'm frustrated about something, I can always look and say, my prayer life is not what it's supposed to be. I'm talking to people and I'm not talking to God. Now, just mark it down, folks. One of the tests of faith is how you react when you're in trouble. How you react when problems come your way. And you rarely find these people praying. You find them complaining. I, 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 can, think of, I can think of at least one church that... Uh, Greg, would you agree that that probably could be renamed the Complaining Baptist Church? I mean, they were proud of the fact that business meetings went three and four hours. Proud of it. Now, they were never excited about an invitation going by more than one verse. But they were proud of their complaining and their griping and their arguing and their bickering and their fussing. And I just have one question. Where's the glory of God in that? Because you see, if somebody can't be saved by overhearing what we do and how we do business, then God's business is not being done. Now listen. What will people remember about you? That you were positive? That you had faith? That you believed the best? Or that you always saw the speck of dirt on a clean slate? Will they remember that when you got boxed in, you murmured and you complained about the lot in life that you had? Or will they remember that you lived life with grace even in the midst of desperate and dark times? I can tell you this. When you fail the test of faith, you will always imagine the worst possible scenario for your life. When you fail to pray and when you fail to walk by faith, you will come to the conclusion that God led you out here to die and there weren't enough graves in Egypt. But when you walk by faith and when you walk in prayer, you know that wherever you are, that's where God wants you to be. And you just need to walk in his will and wait patiently on the Lord. Now, let's, some words that we need to speak in faith. 
when we're backed up against the wall and when the bottom's falling out and there's some words that we need to remember and there are three phrases that I want you to see. First of all, look at verse 10. Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they became very frightened for the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse 13, but Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord which, we, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Oh, oh I love that verse. I love the words that God puts in the Bible. The Lord will fight with you if you just shut up. That's a cat paraphrase. If you'll quit whining and complaining, and if you'll quit feeling sorry for yourself, and if you'll quit having a pity party, and if you'll quit talking about all the wrongs that have happened in your life, if you just be quiet and trust God, he'll deliver you. You see, when you pour out your heart, the first person you've got to pour your heart out to is God. You see, we can't get honest. Greg talked about being honest. We can't get honest enough to tell God our hurts because we're afraid to tell God, but we're not afraid to tell everybody else. And God is the one that receives them best. God is the one that's never offended by our fears and by our hurts. God is the one that we need to listen to. And he said, don't be frightened. And he told them to do three things. First of all, do not fear. Fear plays on our minds. I tell you, if you let fear get a foothold, it will build a wall in your life. Do not fear. There, there's a Chinese Christian who said, we should not worry at night, for we will lose sleep. We should not worry at mealtime, for we will get indigestion. We should not worry at work, for it affects our work. We should choose a good time to worry, and at that time, we should pray. It's good advice, isn't it? Don't worry at night, you'll lose sleep. Don't worry at mealtime, you'll get indigestion. Don't worry at work, you won't do your best work. Find the time that's a good time to worry and then pray. Now, why is fear so dangerous? First of all, because we tend to look for somebody to blame for our fears. Were there not enough graves in Egypt? We tend to look for somebody to blame for our fears. Secondly, we tend to lose perspective. Once fear begins to take over in our life, we begin to lose perspective and we forget all the things that God has done. We have short memories. I'm not very good at this, but I need to be better at keeping a journal and of keeping a list of the things that God does. I, I'm not as good at this as I need to be. But I want to tell you something, folks. The things that God has done for me outweigh all the bad things that anybody's ever done to me. But I tend to forget that. How about you? I mean, every plague. After the fourth plague, not one plague touches the land of Goshen. I mean, they're over there and they're looking out into the land. They're just a dividing line. The plagues are not touching them. They go, well, you know, God's really good. I mean, this plague's got them. doesn't have me. They sprinkle the blood of the Passover lamb over their door and the death angel passes by, you know? There are a lot of people that lost their firstborn. Firstborn cattle, firstborn children, firstborn everything. But look at us. We've got everything that we had when the day started. God's been good to us. 
brought out of the land of Egypt, delivered through the Red Sea, water from a rock. I mean, you make the list of the things that God did for them and how often and how quickly they lost perspective on what God had done. I think God's people have the shortest memories of anybody in the world because we forget how good God's been to us. I mean, the first sign of an ingrown toenail and, whoa, it's so hard and things are so awful and things are so bad for me. But you've got to get your life in perspective. Whatever you're going through, it could get worse. I love what Mark Lowry used to say. Remember that line Mark Lowry used to say, whatever you're going through sure beats hell? Next time you're just around somebody and they're just telling you, you know, you just don't know what kind of day I've had, just say, sure beats hell. They'll be startled and they'll get over it eventually. <laughs> Thirdly, we tend to shut down spiritually. When fear sets in, the reason it's so dangerous is we tend to shut down spiritually and all of a sudden we don't pray and we don't seek God and we won't listen to the Word and we won't seek spiritual counsel. We won't go to the right places to find the help that we need and we'll just shut down and we'll lock up and we'll try to handle life on our own. You can't shut down spiritually and overcome fear. You have to operate in the spiritual realm if you're going to overcome fear. Now, first command, do not fear. Second one is very obvious. Don't panic. Don't panic. Notice a little word. Do not fear. Stand by. Now, that Hebrew word, stand by, is an interesting word because it's, it means a deliberate and purposeful act of replacing fear with trust. A deliberate and purposeful act of replacing fear with trust. So when he says, do not fear, when he says, stand by, he says, stop fearing and replace your fear with trust. Deliberately make an act of your will, a choice in your mind. I'm going to trust God. And our biggest problem in crisis is we don't stand still. We rush around and we make a quick decision and then we regret it. Fear-induced mistakes are legion in many of our lives. Isaiah said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why is this important? Because waiting brings perspective. Waiting brings perspective. Over the course of time, God gives you perspective on the issue that you may not have in the moment and in the crisis. How many times have you and I looked at our lives and we've seen something, we're going, oh, you know, I don't know how God's in this. I don't know how God can be in this. I don't know how God could get glory out of this. I don't know why God would allow me to go through this. I don't know why this had to happen to me. And over the course of time, you look back on it and you say, you know, God got glory out of that. You know, God used me in ways I didn't know through that situation. You know, God met a need. God grew me in my faith. By, by the way, you do understand, don't you, that most of us will never grow on our own. It takes God boxing us in for us to grow. Because only when we're boxed in do we get desperate enough that we want God to overrule our decision-making process. We have to stand firm and stand by. Then there's a third command, go forward. Verse 15, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying after me? Now, apparently, Moses went over to the side and started telling the Lord about all these people griping. And God said, Moses, what are you coming bringing this to me for? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Now, notice what he says. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. Michael Bowden says this, Standing still in the midst of problems may be an expression of trust, but going forward into an impossible situation is a greater one. Someone has said that there are only two positions in God's presence, on your knees and on your feet. Get on your knees. Don't fear. Get on your feet. Go forward. Get on your knees and seek the Lord and get on your feet and move out in what he has said. God is always calling us to our knees and to our feet. He calls us to our knees to get perspective. He calls us to our feet to move forward. He calls us to move out. And everything changed in these people when they moved out and stepped forward. Everything changed. They would have been an unknown group of delivered slaves who died a few days after their deliverance if they had stopped and said, we're not going to go. We don't care. I know it looks like it's dry land. I know it looks like the water's parted, but we're not going. If Moses hadn't lifted his staff, if the people hadn't gone forward, they would have all died right there. There would be no promised people. There would be no promised land. There would be no Messiah. Everything in history changed because they finally stepped forward and went out in faith. Now, we know that didn't last long, but at least they moved out in that point. Now, let me give you a couple of insights here. This, I'm not down to the last five steps, but let me just give you a couple of insights about this going forward. First of all, prayer is essential, but if all you do is pray, it's an excuse. Prayer is essential, but if all you do is pray, it's an excuse. You see, you can just say, I'm praying about it, I'm praying about it, I'm praying about it, I'm praying about it. Sooner or later, you've got to get up and do something about what you've been praying about. Sometimes we use prayer as an excuse rather than as a, an ability to get before God and get the strength that we need in his presence to go out and do what he's told us to do. You can pray about witnessing to people all day long, but you've got to get out and do it sooner or later. You can pray about being obedient, but you've got to get out and be obedient sooner or later. You see, you on your knees, and then you're on your feet. You pray, and then you get up and act on your prayer. I wonder, how many miracles have we missed because we wouldn't go forward? How many miracles have you missed in your family, in your personal life, in the life of this church, because we were afraid to take a step of faith? You see, you can't expect God to provide a miracle in your life if you're not willing to step out and stand on a promise. If God says, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand, and tell the sons of Israel to go forward, if we wait until God carries us, we'll never get there. How many times have we missed the blessings of God by not walking out on the miracle that God has provided for us? I don't find one time in Scripture where God ever said to people, get on your knees and pray and retreat. Go backwards. Back up. 
Don't go ahead in your commitment. Don't go forward in your faith. Back up to where you used to be. Not one time did God ever tell his people to back up. God is always calling his people to move forward. Hudson Taylor said it very well. There are three stages to any work of God. Impossible, difficult, and done. One preacher says that there are five steps in going forward, and I, I tell you, these are very, very, very good principles. Number one, from the point where God has placed you. How do you go forward? How do you know how to go forward? Number one, from the point where God has placed you. Number two, along the path that God tells you to take. Along the path that God tells you to take. You just don't go forward. You have to go forward along his path. Number three, by the light that God supplies. By the light that God supplies. Number four, with the staff that God provides. The resources, the staff that God provides. And number five, to the land which God prepares. You see, we learn by going and we learn by doing. We learn by going and we learn by obeying. Now, in just a minute, we're going to walk out these doors. And I don't know which door you're going to walk out. I don't know where you parked or what door you came in or how you'll end up leaving this building. But in just a minute, <clears throat> we're all going to leave. But whatever door you go out, there's a danger outside that door. The danger is that you'll spend this next week complaining instead of praying. The danger is that you'll spend this next week loving God less than you ought to. Living on a lower plane than God saved you to live on. Not trusting him in ways that he wants you to trust him. Not loving other people the way that he wants you to love other people. The danger is that we'll go out of here and see an obstacle, and instead of seeing an opportunity, we find all the reasons why we can't go forward. Before every Christian and before every church, there comes a crisis of belief, there comes a moment when we have to decide, do we see obstacles or do we see opportunities? Do we see the hand of God do we believe that God has led us this far to take us forward? Or do we believe that God has led us this far for us to die in defeat? I believe that God has led me to this point in my life for me to go forward tomorrow. I don't believe God has led me this far for me to die in defeat. I don't believe God saved me. I don't believe he paid the price of sending his son to die. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me for me to live in defeat and to live in fear. I think God did all of that for one reason, so I would get on my knees and then get up and go forward. By the way, the church has to do that too. In the days ahead in the life of this church, there are going to be some opportunities to bail out. I think I probably shared this with you, but I was having a supper with a couple of our deacons a few weeks ago, and they asked me, what I saw as some of the battles that were ahead of us. One of the battles I told them was, we will have a financial crisis before we get these buildings built. And you just mark it down. Somebody write down in your Bible, I said it tonight. 
because it's going to come. And then God is going to put Sherwood Baptist Church on the scales. And he's going to say, now, you strutted through this town for 40 plus years. You've bragged about how big you are. You've bragged about your ministry. You've bragged about your belief in the inerrancy of the word. Which way is it going to tilt? You're going to trust me or your checking account? Which one are we going to do? We trust the checking account. I'm going to tell you, we'll die right here. We trust God will move forward. I hadn't found a checking account yet that God can't get into if he wants to. Sometimes he gets into it hard ways, but I hadn't found one yet that he can't get into. But you see, there's going to be a crisis of belief for us. There's going to be a moment when we're going to be frustrated, when we're going to be fearful, and we're going to start complaining. You just watch it. Building programs bring out the best in your people, and it brings out the worst. And some of us are going to rise up, and we're going to be the cream of the crop, and it's going to bring out the best in us, and we're going to believe God, and we're going to trust God, and I'm going to tell you, some of us are going to get nasty and ugly and critical and gripe, and we're going to take Sunday school time and hallway time and after church eating time, and we're going to complain, complain, complain about where we are and how stupid we were to get ourselves in this position. I'm going to tell you, you died looking at the Red Sea. I'll be on the other side telling you you could have come with me. You have a choice. Not to follow me, but I'm going to tell you, God didn't lead this church this far for us to die on the wrong side of the sea. God led us to go across. And by the way, none of them had to die in the wilderness. They chose to die there because they believed that the giants were bigger than God. And they believed that the opportunities were not as big as the obstacles. And they looked at the obstacles and they looked at the problems and they complained and they questioned and they got bitter against God. And rather than enjoying the fruit of the land and the blessings of God, they died in the wilderness. Where will you die? You will die according to how you pass the test of faith. If you try to reason out the test of faith like it's an SAT test, you're not going to make it. Because the test of faith requires you to look at some things and say, I don't know the answer, but God does. I don't see how, but God knows. I don't understand where it's going to come from, but I know God's going to do it. You see, every one of us are here because our faith is about to be tested. Some of us will fail. Some of us will succeed. Some will retreat. Some will go forward. But like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And folks, if I go under, and if I die, I'm going to die facing the obstacles and moving forward. I'm not going to die running back toward the enemy so he can put a spear through me. I'm going to die charging. I'm not going to die retreating. Because God didn't save me to retreat. He saved me to stand and fight a spiritual war that he has given me all the equipment I need to win.